Um, so we're in this series called Pushing Back the Darkness, and as you know, we began with talking about praise and how praise pushes back on the darkness by, by um, having us focus on Christ in a way that we don't normally do. And I thought the music this morning and worship was just out of this world, man. So blessed, so blessed. This team is just so anointed by God, just amazing. Um, after praise, we talked about prayer and how prayer focuses our attention. It reminds us uh, of not only his goodness, but it reminds us of his forgiveness and of our ability to cultivate a culture of forgiveness in our lives so that we might receive forgiveness as well as give forgiveness. And then last week, we talked about the presence of God and how that pushes back the darkness by reminding us that not only are we never alone, but that that when he is present, there is nothing that can harm us. And today we're talking about God's power and how God's power pushes back on the darkness. And I mean, listen, you've already assented to God's power if you're sitting here. If you believe that God created the world, if you believe that God saved us, if you believe that God will recreate this world again in his image at the end of time, then you believe that God has power already. You already believe that. But it's a fair question to ask, what does God's power look like? Because we used to see it, when we read the Old Testament, we have a tendency to know what it was and how it looked. Even when we read the New Testament, we know that it was fully expressed in who Jesus was, his sacrifice, his resurrection, as well as his ascension for us. But sometimes it feels like we don't see it at all anymore. And so we want to take a little time to look at the text that talk a little bit about God's power as well as we want to see how that becomes applicable in our lives and in our church. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians 4.20, which says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by God's power. And I don't know about you, and I do this for a living, but sometimes I get tired of the talk of Christianity, the talk of, of you know, blessed and saved and all these things, when yet the churches seem to have less and less relevance in the world and less and less impact in the culture. And it's, it's fascinating here that the New Living Translation says it this way, for the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. You know, but well, we, should, we should be spending time not just talking about what God has done, but also engaged in what God is doing in the world through us. Because the question is, is he doing anything through you? And if not, why not? Because God's power makes us active in the world. If you're not doing anything, you're not exercising God's power in the world. So what are you doing to flex God's power in the world? Or are you a couch potato Christian? You know the kind. The one that doesn't really do anything, but certainly has a lot to talk about. Right? Do you get on forums online and share your opinions and your theological ideas? That's helping, thanks. Or are you actually active? Do you get up off the couch? Do you do more than just come to church? Are you engaged in compassion to the world? Are you engaged in empathy? Are you engaged in justice work? Are you engaged in advocacy? What are you doing to forward the kingdom of God in this world? Are you simply even sharing your story, witnessing? How does it look in the world? God's power in the world looks like active Christians. It looks like you being active for the work of God in this world. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us 
to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So first, it looks like activity, right? Like, like his power in us creates some activity, but it is also that he has chosen to collaborate with us in showing the, what power and love can do in the world, and we can be effective. You know, the statistics in North America about churches are pretty dismal. It's pretty rough. Churches are getting smaller. Less and less people are going to church. But we know that if people are working within God's power, God's power makes us effective in the world. And that power is at work inside us. What does that mean? It means that we, when we are living dangerously, are living inside the will and power of God. We'll talk about more on that later. But my question to you today is, when was the last time you felt effective for God? Could it be that you don't experience God's power because you don't live by faith? Is that too harsh? Are you, are you really taking leaps? I mean, friends, if it's not a leap, is it even faith? When, when, when I was young, and it is fascinating, at the 9 a.m. service, my, my, when I was little, when I was four and five years old, my swim team coach was here at church. I haven't seen that guy in, how old am I? A long time. Yeah, he happened to be here at church, which is fascinating because I was telling this story. At La Sierra University, um, at La Sierra University, they have a pool, and that pool has a high dive. Now, I know some of you are too young to even know what diving boards are because we don't even get to build them in our house because of insurance. And by the way, that's not the world I want to live in if we can't have diving boards at our own homes. Think of the the lost beauty of flying through the air and falling into the water. But at La, at La Sierra, they had a high dive. And man, I remember climbing up that high dive for the first time. And the high dive was high. It was 150 feet or so above the ground. At least that's what it felt like to a four-year-old getting up there, right? You're climbing and you're climbing. You're climbing. Your legs are getting shaky. You're starting to get nervous. And finally you get up and, and you go to the back of the diving board. You don't want to go to the front. You go to the back of the diving board and you look around and survey all your domain and realize I'm going to die. Right? And so then you make the mistake of going out to the end and looking to see what's down. And you look down and water's clear. So it feels like it could be just down and down that you have to go. You've never been up this high. I remember, you know, you have people on the side going, you can do it. You can do it. And you're like, I can't, I can't do it. It's before you really understand gravity. And all you have to do is step off and gravity will do it for you. But man, it's so scary. And then you, you walk back and you're nervous and you don't want to go all the way back because you're scared you're going to get so much trajectory that you'll probably jump over the whole pool because <laughs> you're four or five, you know, you don't know. Listen, man, when you get to the end and you take that first jump off, you have sheer terror, sheer fear, and then you hit the ground and it hurts a little bit, right? Not the ground. It hurts a lot if you hit the ground. You hit the water. <laughs> You hit the water and it hurts a little bit. And that's all right. It hurts a little bit. And you're like, oh, oh. And you realize, no, no, I'm okay. I wasn't safe, but I'm okay. And then you're like, hey, I want to I wanna take that leap again. I want to do that again. And so you get back and you get in line and you're waiting in line just ready to go because now you have all this kinetic energy because you know what it's like to fly. And so as soon as you get onto the, to the diving board, you go to the very end and you press against the back and then you run as fast as you can and you jump and you fly. That's what it's like living by faith. Yeah. 
If it's not faith, how can it have any power at all? The power of God in us comes from our faith and trust that we have Jesus Christ. Nowhere else does that power come from. But we have perhaps tried to lean into our own process of discipleship, etc. I mean, where in the world did all the radical people go? Right? Where did all those who made strides for faith in God's work, those that live differently, that are willing to go through the fire? No, friends, we got domesticated. The ritual replaced the radical. We were a movement and we became a monument. The rituals and traditions replaced the radical nature of God's power in the world. We got organized, friends. We got organized, and the process replaced the power. No, God, we got this. We can do it. We've got a 13-week step to baptize people. We don't need you to convict a heart that someone should be baptized. We got this. We know what to do. We got organized. We got process-oriented. A process of discipleship will make people the way we want them to be. And you know what we became? We became super boring. I'm not going to lie. We became super polite, really courteous, and deeply committed to not changing anything. Where did all the radicals go? Right? New life. (laughs) New life was replaced with long life. You see us walking around going, hey, we're blue zoners. We live 10 years longer than everybody else. It just feels like it. We take pride in living longer than anyone else on the planet. But what about that new life we were given to live? I mean, is living in God's power really this safe? That your biggest concern is to make sure you get a latte before you come to church? And if that's convicting, and if that sounds harsh, I'm sorry. But where did all the radicals go? Were we called to be something more? Come on. The Great Commission comes from the Great Commandment. And the Great Commandment is that we love God and love one another. Right? We do that without boundary. We do that inclusively. That means we have to go out to where the others are to find how to love. I mean, come on. Isn't it it fascinating that the same word for witness is the word for martyr? If this is true, then where's the heart, right? Did you ever wonder why? The life of the church is the heart of God. And if this is true, then where is the heart of God? We know it's, with the, it's not just with the 99, but it's with the one. We know that the heart of God is in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in the praises, and it's in the amazing things that God is doing. Not nearly as much as it is with the mundane. But the power of the church is directly related to its connectedness with the power of Christ. And I'm getting serious now. How connected to Christ are we actually being? Listen, friends, I was in a YouTube spiral this week, and I should never do it, but it happens. Right, my name comes up and something, and I go look, and I shouldn't do it. I watch this guy's sermon, an hour and forty-five minutes, and at one point he goes, he goes, listen, friends, listen, these people, these people, all they do is talk about Jesus. There's something wrong with that. I was like, well, I'm listening now. And he goes, if all they're doing is talking about Jesus, then they don't actually love God. I'm tracking still, sort of. Now I'm paying more attention. He goes, if all they do is love Jesus and speak of Jesus, then they don't really love God. In fact, if all they do is talk about Jesus, then they are Babylon. (laughs) People in his place are like, amen. And I was like, what are you amening for? What? 
What? And he goes, listen, if they just love Jesus, then they don't love the doctrines and they don't love the church. Friends, that's sick. That is a sick way to think about what we believe in. What do we believe in? We believe in Jesus. What are the doctrines? The way we talk about Jesus. But we believe in Jesus. Listen, the diminishing power and influence of the church on society is not simply because fewer people are going to church, but fewer people are going to church because of the diminishing influence of Christ on the church itself. We forgot it. You see, we fear the church has no power in the world, right? We fear that we are irrelevant, that we are not making strides for the kingdom in society anymore. But if God has power and we are connected to that power, how can the church not have power? Perhaps our churches are dying because they love their process more than they love their connectedness to the power of God. How come churches do well and others fail? Right? I know what we do. We go, oh, that pastor wasn't very good. That's why that church failed. Right? It rises and falls on the back of a pastor. Or maybe it rises and falls on, on the nature of the people in the church or the demographic. I've sat in meetings where they say, well, we need to figure out if we need a church there. There's not many Adventists, so we probably don't need a church there. You've heard me say these things before. Right? That's what we do is we think it's our process. That's the reason why churches fail. Right? It's our, but we, it's because, it's because we become really competent, we think, at doing church and we've forgotten about the power of God to build his kingdom through us. You see, once we were called Christians by an unbelieving world, they called us that. And now we call ourselves Christians and the world calls us hypocrites. Is it possible that it wasn't the world that was becoming dangerously secular, but the church? So what does, what does this connection with Christ give us? What kind of power? Well, it's new life power, friends. It's resurrection power. Colossians 2.12 says this, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. This is the most powerful thing that God can do, resurrect the dead, and he does it to and through us. And this new life is access to power. I mean, as I understand it, though, to be a power lifter, you have to actually lift. At least that's what I'm told. How do you use your new life? Are you keeping it safe? Are you that, are you that Star Wars figurine Christian? You know the one. You get that Boba Fett, and, and it's in this beautiful box, and you know that if you open the box, it's not going to be worth as much in 30 years. So you put it on a shelf, and you don't play with it at all, and you just wait I mean, for me, that worked for about 18 minutes probably. And then I was like, I want to play with that. I want to use that thing. Why would I buy it if I didn't want to use it? Why get new life if you're not going to use it? Why, not, why get new life if you're not going to live radically and live differently than you have before? I mean, this is, the, this, is the, this is what we think, right? The will of God is the safest place to be. No, it's not. I made this point last week. Absolutely not. It's the most dangerous place to be. So I'll ask you this. Do you even lift, bro? Do you even lift? Do you even exercise this power that God has given us? Listen, when, when things are the most dangerous is when you need the most power, right? When our spiritual lives are on the edge, when we are serving, when we're being challenged, and when we're fearing what God has is when his power is most clear. Why do we think things are going to be safe? The central metaphor of Christianity is the cross, why did we think safety was something to be gained? 
when the very thing we believe in is dangerous. But what we did, you know, what, we did, what did people do? We institutionalized, right? Institutions, yeah, they preserve culture. Movements create culture. This is why the church can't ever be stagnant. Right? And there's a fascinating conversation that Jesus had with some Sadducees. Sadducees who said that there is no resurrection from the dead at all. And this is how the conversation goes. And it's interesting what Jesus does here. In Matthew 22, 23, it says, That same day Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders, who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have... A a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose. You know it's not going to go well when you say, well, suppose. This is a hypothetical question. It's going to get weird because that's what they do. Suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died. And the third brother married her and continued with all seven of them. First of all, I feel like we need to ask a couple fundamental questions. First of all being, who is this woman and why do you want to hang out with her? She seems a little bit dangerous, right? Last of all, the woman died. So, they continue, tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Now, remember who's asking this question. Someone who doesn't believe in the resurrection. So what does Jesus say? He goes, listen, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. He's saying, listen, you are asking a ridiculous question, right? You're asking something silly, but it preserves the institution. You want me to answer this question in a way that preserves the institution. And so oddly, he answers the question, and this is what we think when we read this text that it's all about, right? We think for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given to marriage. And my bet is when you came in contact with this, it was probably in high school at some point, and your Bible teacher was like, there's no marriage in heaven. And you're immediately like, buena? Like, I'm, I'm 17, man. I don't know about marriage. I'm kind of hoping to get there. And we know, we all went through that, 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 that desire for Jesus not to come for just a little while longer, because there's a girl or a guy you kind of like, and you like to see where it's going, right? Because you know, there's no marriage in heaven. That's been made pretty clear because we thought that was the point of this text, right? The point of this text is not that. The point of this text is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. So let me answer this question. Listen, it's so different. You're not even going to understand it. But then he says, but now as to whether there will be a resurrection of the dead, haven't you ever read about this in the scriptures? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. God's power doesn't let the dead stay dead. So God's power is not going to let the church die. When the crowds heard him, they were astounded by his teaching. Just for the record, every time Jesus says something, people are like, what in the world? That is not what we were expecting. You got that friend who answers a question differently and you're like, oh, that's weird, man. I don't know what to do with that. We all have that friend. If you don't, it's you. Jesus was like, you don't even understand. First of all, you don't believe in resurrection. Second of all, this is a weird question, but fine. It's, it's going to be different in heaven. It's going to be so different. This is a weird, this question doesn't even make sense. And thirdly, what makes you think God doesn't resurrect the dead things? He does that, so you need to not worry about this a little bit. 
right? Because the power of God is much bigger than any power that you've ever had before. But the problem is, I think, is that Christians got confused about what we were supposed to do. We thought we were supposed to build institutions that stayed forever, monuments that never changed. But Christians were supposed to pitch tents, not build cathedrals. That's what we're called to. And by the way, this makes a a difference for us in this community. Obviously, we've been full, right? And people have been saying to me for the last couple years, listen, we need to get into a bigger building. We need to build build a bigger church. We need to do that. We could do that. I could get up here for the next five years and ask you for 10 or $15 million to build a cathedral where we could worship. But I just kind of believe that God called us to pitch tents, not build cathedrals. And what that means is that we're going to stay here as uncomfortable as it is sometimes. Right? Over the next five years, we're working on renegotiating the lease right now. But we feel very convinced from the leadership, the staff, and from our board that we are not to go straddle ourselves to a building project that in the end we can go look at and go, wow, this is really amazing for us. What we'd rather do is be involved in the work and the power and expansion of the kingdom of God. And we believe that we should be building tents, right? So we should, be, we should be pitching tents in other communities and building the work of God through Crosswalk Church in that way. Now, that's not to say we're not going to come and ask for money. There's some upgrades that we're going to need to do in this facility, just, right? Like, those bathrooms are nice now. They were not free. We'll get there, right? But I'm not going to come and ask you for $15 million to strap us to a 30-year lease, or 30-year mortgage. What I'm going to come is say, hey, we need half a million. We need three quarters of a million dollars, but these are the things we want to do with it. We want to impact culture. That means we want to put out a worship album with our musicians because what we experience every single week, people need to experience more, right? We need to put on conferences where we can bring pastors from other churches in the area and they can see how church can be done, not because this is the only way to do it or it's the best way to do it, because this is a way that we believe is relevant to people's lives. So we can help train pastors. We can keep the price low so they can come and hang out with us and learn what we do. And we can continue to pitch tents all over through their expertise and their help as they learn the ethos of what Crosswalk Church is, right? You see, we were supposed to create movements, not monuments, And this is why we need to invest in where we're heading, not to where we have come from or the place that we sit right now. We need to invest in the future, in people, in young ones that will carry on the faith and work in God's power. We need to put together an internship program where we can pay young people to come here and work with us for six months and learn about what we do. And then we can release them into the world to live dangerously for Christ. Right? That's what we need to do. I'm on a committee for the North American division that wants to hire 2,500 new young people in the church. Because as you know, our young people are not just leaving the church, our young pastors are leaving the church because they can't see being a pastor in one of our regular churches for the next 40 years. They feel like there's no trajectory. There's no, there's no God-given inclination to go out and just be crazy because the churches are scared to do it. We're not scared. We want to send them out to do that, to live crazy for God, to live radically for God. You see, institutions preserve culture, movements create culture, and that's what we want to do through the power of God. By creating music, art, supporting ministry in new and creative ways, boldly, radically. And you know what? We might be a little persecuted for it because people don't get what we're doing sometimes. Hey, why, why are you planning churches? Because we feel like we should. Yeah, but they're way over there. Do you know that in the summer, this summer, Chattanooga has kept its numbers up. They thought they would go down because students weren't there. This week, there's 176 people worshiping in their room, 46 kids and volunteers in their kids' programs. They are already talking about a second service when the fall comes. Can you believe that? Praise God for that. 
No. Man, and I hear all the time, we're waiting to see if it's good. Listen, it's good. I'll just answer that now. Right? God is blessing. We're going to continue to work in his power. We're going to continue to grow because that's what God is calling us to do. Right? We really believe in that. We think that the church is dying. The church isn't dying. God is waiting to infuse the church with his power. We just forgot to ask. We forgot to move boldly. We decided we were going to sit and wait to see what God would do. And God's been looking at us the whole time going, it's you. My power looks like you. My power is in you. The power of resurrection, all that, that's in you. This new life, that's in you. Don't just sit here waiting for a miracle, waiting for the sea to part. Jump in and start swimming. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Hebrews 1.3 says this, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down on a place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. With a text like this, how can we not move forward in faith and power? So my question to you is, what are you waiting for? You, we, The church, we have access to the power of God to push back the darkness, not just in our lives, but in the world. If we are dying, it's because we are not really living radical lives for Christ. We are sheltered in our own institutions and we are afraid of the world out there. I believe in a God that's not only not afraid of everything, but created everything and has it all in his hands. He has sustained the world with his mighty power and he seeks to change the world through you, through you, through you. You want to push back the darkness in your life? Then accept the power that God has given you in your life. We want to be a church of significance, a church of influence, a church that changes the community. Then we've got to get busy. We've got to get active and we've got to get effective. And we can only do that through the power of Jesus Christ. We'll be witnesses and we might be martyrs. And if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. Because we are not going to stagnate. We're not going to put all of our efforts into building something that is a legacy for us. And listen, just for the record, like buildings are cool, they're important, and people need them, and they do it. That's just not what we're called to right now, to take on that sort of thing. We're called to stay live, to stay flexible, to be able to continue to move to what God is calling us to. We can be part of pushing back the darkness in the greater community. We can only do that if you decide to stand up, if you decide to change, if you decide to access that power of God and you decide to become active and effective for the kingdom. Because it's not just me, it's not just Isai, it's not just the people who are called pastors. Because we believe in the priesthood of all believers and that way we're all pastors, we're all priests. We are all those who forward the work of God. That's biblical, friends. I can't imagine how exciting the next five, six, seven years are going to be. I am scared half to death, and that is the best place to be. I am standing on the edge of a high dive, looking around, going, should I jump? Should we jump? If we don't jump, it'll never happen. If we don't jump, it's not faith, and if it's not faith, it doesn't have any power. God has so much for us to grow us and stretch us. and Let's be those radicals. 
Let's be those ones that people look back in 100 years and go, we don't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. But look what God did through them. That's how we push back the darkness, with the power of Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord, let us be open to receiving your power. Let us be open to be those radicals who people maybe don't understand, but at least they want to get out of the way because they know that God is doing a good work through them. Lord, we ask this in your powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen.